says heavy. On your marks, on your marks, get steady. Taking my time with it just like Teddy. Speaking my mind with it, feel it on the levy. On the weekly, go on the speaks easy. Andrew connected the dots and that's breezy. Show side two flum dung, so come and see me. Feel it red, you know that never be me. Take another look like the AR. You can listen to the trade or you see AR. Yeah, the content must go far. You can live on the thing, cause it raise the bar. It's just as hard. Twitter and YouTube don't get barred. Trophies are coming, so we fix the scars. Only when the season, the season's at large. I can't be without you. Episode 141 is the Showside Podcast, and sorry, Jimmy, even though we won, there are no yo's this week. Miserable, miserable, miserable guy, <laughs> bro. Like, you know what, yeah, I didn't care about your yo's, I didn't care about your yo's, okay? I didn't care about your yo's. This Some is, people do. This is a much, this is a much, much improved performance, man. You can't take down, you can't take away the yo's when it's like negative, and then when it gets a little bit positive, you're like, still not changing. They're like, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't care, bro. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. No, I'm happy. No, happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take my ball and go home, Kavna. Oh, You've seen me do goodness. it. All right, yo. It's a Shelfside podcast. Are you happy? <laughs> no. We, we, you know scored what? one goal. If you get it, if you get it, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I'm over it, bruv. I've not spoken to you for a while, Kavna. How are you doing, my friend? I'm tired, man. I'm tired. So tired. Guys, we're recording at middle of the day, so why are you so tired, Kavna? Oh, you were busy yesterday, weren't you? Life, man. I was bu- yeah, I was busy, man. I was busy just doing some manual labour. And you know you forget, man. You forget when you're shoveling around mud and that. Like, I was like, oh, let me just do this for a little bit and then, like, go and do my workout. I was finished. I was actually finished. I was doing this nonsense from, like, nine till, like, seven. I was just like, you know what? Don't really have the energy. Don't have the energy at all. Yeah. I don't. And it was um, exhausting. It was exhausting. But so this this is the thing, though. I think we have to respect the guys that do all sorts of jobs in life because it's almost like we take it for granted how much actual physical energy is needed to do a manual labour job for those hours that you just quoted. It's we don't do that bro. on our day-to-day. Yeah, not at all, bro. And I was trying to tell my wife, I was like, I don't feel this tired after I, after I work out. And I thought my workouts are quite intense. She was like, yeah, but your workout's an hour. You're like, you're like shoveling this stuff around for like five, six, seven hours. It's like, yeah, completely different thing. But yeah, I'm tired, but tired, I'm right, man. I'm right. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm not bad, not bad. Just um, here, man, trying to fight off these winter viruses in the spring. But it's all good. <laughs> You know, we, we, we moved. These viruses are all around oh, us. Yeah. These two years of COVID has, yeah, everyone's immune system out of sorts. Out of work, out of work, out of work. I feel like, but you're a vegan, man. Shouldn't you be, like, protected against this by your super vegan powers? Isn't that, what, isn't that the whole point? No? You didn't, didn't you tell me veganism is like... I, th- I, think, I think, yeah, I think, vegan, I think veganism is a myth, man. I think it's like a lie. I think it's a lie, bruv. <laughs> How can it be a lie? I think everything, I think everything vegan, vegan stand for is a lie. Make out that they care, they care about animals. They don't care about animals. 
I mean, it's all just about like the environment. And is 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 global warming really a thing? I mean, what's the proof? Where's the real evidence? Like, you know I mean? Wait, let's forget. Are you let's forget, let's, let's thing? forget about like melting ice caps and like raising and increasing temperature. <laughs> like, what's the, what are the real? Do you know what I mean? Because if global warming is a real thing, yeah, why is it not feeling like Jamaica right now? I don't actually understand. And I know I don't know why yeah, we're not having okay. Ghanaian summers. It's just a bit, it's a bit broken. <laughs> it. Someone just said, "Oh, global warming, climate change." Woo! And we all just ran with it. Like, you have seen though that. The record temperatures look, I, I, look, for for the UK and Europe listen, have increased year on year. Listen, listen, this is what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah, it's increased on paper in co- according to the records, <laughs> but what's the degree anyway? What is the degree? What's the Fahrenheit? I don't know. Oh, Someone just said it. Okay, and then that was it. wait, hold on, hold. On. Are you going down to the level of what is an atom? This, I'm just saying, yeah. Just like vegan burgers, just like vegan burgers, <laughs> just like vegan, vegan burgers, burgers, Fahrenheit degrees, man-made, man-made. So Scientology. I mean, the connections are there. I'm just saying, the connections are there. Wait, 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 wait. Did you just say... I'm saying, I'm giving you facts. I'm giving you facts. All of those things I mentioned are man-made. What, a vegan burger? Vegan burgers, man-made. So is a beef burger, De- Degrees, man-made. Wait, but so degrees, is a beef burger. Man-made. Beef burger, man-made. Uh, I think you'll find... That beef, you know, you know, even if you want, even if you want to claim, if you want to claim beef burgers are man-made. I'll allow you to make that claim, okay? Fine. Let's say, let's say, let's say a steak. Animal, an, animal, animal meat is not man-made, isn't it? Vegan meat is man-made. So, 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 so we want to break it. So we want to break it down. We want to break it down. Mushrooms. Mushrooms. Fungus. Call it by its name. It's fungus. Uh, Fungi. Yeah, yeah. We can, yeah, yeah if you want to, if you want if you want to, if you want I'm just saying, if you want to deep it, like vegan, vegan food, yeah, man-made degrees. No, man-made. fake, fake substitute meat is man-made. But I don't eat that stuff. All I'm saying is, all I'm saying vegetables. is, okay, listen, this is, this is, the, this is the bottom line, isn't it? You, you call yourself a vegan, isn't it? You call yourself a vegan. No, I call, I'm plant-based. Okay. I have a plant-based diet. Oh, you guys diet. think you're fancy with this plant-based nonsense. Anyway, you guys think you're, you guys are vegans. You think you've got special powers because you've got vegan, because you're vegan, isn't it? <laughs> By the end of the day, you're not, and you're still getting sick. So I didn't they eat meat, in it. So, end of story, eat meat. Maybe it's because I didn't take a COVID jab. Uh, oh, okay, here we go. Anti-vaxxer, bro. Anti-vaxxer. Is it anti-vaxxer vegan, bro? I can't even believe I'm on a podcast with you, bro. You're everything that's wrong with society right now. My gosh. My goodness, everything that's yeah, wrong with society. Next you're going to tell me that cars... I'm anti-vax. Next time you're going to tell me that cars are, compl- are, 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 are contributing to the ozone layer. I mean, whatever. I just don't want to get into it. Bro, I've got, I've got an electric car. Of course what you does do. That of course you do. But you've got more than one car, no? No, it's just one. You just got one yeah, hat. Thing got, it's a bike, yeah. Bike and foot foot power, you know? Never seen you on a bike. I've never seen you on a bike. No, because you've never seen me on a bike. Nah. When are you going to see me on a bike? I've never seen you on a bike, mate. That's it. So, listeners, we've got this. This shows you where we are with Spurs. We're talking about Scientology and veganism. <laughs> what? Okay. The fine, answer. No. Let's, 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 let's get on to the, the, the mighty, mighty Tottenham Hotspur. Under Mason, if you, yeah, we've had two games at home, right? Yeah. So we drew with United two two. Yeah. And then we've beaten a plucky Crystal Palace. Uh, I mean, do we not have a away away game sandwich in there? Yeah, but like I'm talking about at home. <laughs> okay. So I don't know, don't know what happened away. Um. Listen to the previous episode if you want to talk about that. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't know, man. I feel like the the winning solves everything, man. Winning solves everything, and it feels it always feels nicer, blah blah. But like, 
it did feel like a better game. It did feel like we played more entertaining football. It felt like we were a little bit more solid at the back. There were some changes. There were some changes. So it was weird because he set up in like a. It looked like he set up in like a four four two, but other times it looked like a four a three four three. I feel like it was a four four two. In possession, no, out of possession, and a three four three. In possession, that's what it felt like. That's exactly what it was. Okay, fine. Yeah, that's what it felt like. And you know, because the thing is, I was watching it, and I was like, you know, people, people always talk about how it's like the different formations look. In, things aren't even so wicky. I'm just like, can I? Am I really seeing it like that, or is it just like in my head? Um, so yeah, so there was that, and it seemed to get the most out of the players, but it always is like that when you win. It always is like that when you win. Um, but I think it was interesting just that he was trying something different tactically, man. It was good for him to show he has some ideas about that he wants to implement on the pitch and that one day he could be, you know, a manager at a certain level. It was encouraging from that point of view. I don't know. What did you what do you think of that tactical approach? Do you know, I, I think it was just some sensible decisions made, right? At the end of the day, Dyer should have been dropped. I think that is just very clear, right? And it, there's so many ways you can, what do they say? Um, dress up a turd or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Lipstick on a pig, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And he, shout, he shout, just, shout out to pigs, by <laughs> No shout outs to pigs. Um, he's not good enough. Like, he's not good enough and he's not in good form. So he needed to be dropped. So how do you drop Dyer? You've tried it with Longley there before, okay? Um, to, not Mason hasn't, but to um, varying degrees of success. Um, but let's try it with Romero. And you try it with Romero because arguably his best season in club football has been as a center, a central centre-back in a free at Atalanta where he was defender of the year. Right, he's played in a four, and he's also played the right hand side of a three, to varying degrees of success. Also, so put him in the middle. He's the most competent on the ball. And if you put him in the middle, the biggest question has always been who do you put as right side of centre back? Because you you don't believe in Davison Sanchez, and a lot of people don't believe in Jaffet Tenkanga. But the one who's always been earmarked for a long period of time now. Um, since his struggles at right wing back, have been Emerson Royale. And it kind of makes sense. He's a big, strong, quick player who has defensive nouns, who is decent enough on the ball and can get forward if needed. So right centre-back seemed to suit him, and it was muted a long time ago. And to see him there, when you want to get the best out of one of your most prolific attacking options, actually, in Poro, um, the best thing to do is play Royale right centre-back because there is no way Poro could have dealt with Wilfred Zaha. Absolutely no way. We'd have got rinsed a new one. But having that defensive cover, having that strength and speed there of Royale enabled us to play Poro. And literally, you said it yourself, we were 3-4-3 in possession and um, 4-4-2 out of possession. And that means... We're going to come on to him, I'm sure. But Ben Davies is kind of that genius, um, <laughs> multifaceted <laughs> player. Well, let, let, well, I want to say genius. I'm throwing it out there. But 
you know, he's a clever player in the sense he, that you know, he, he can dovetail. He really, he really is, man. He really is. Yeah. Dovetail to allow the system to operate in that way. Because it's him that changes the system. It's him that turns it into a four at the back. And then it's him who allows it to go to a three, four, three in possession, right? Because Poro is doing one thing and one thing only, and that's attacking. He's a winger who tracks back as opposed to um, a wing back because he can't defend. So, so right? But that's the best way to get assists and goals from him. I've heard a lot of people talk about him in this way over the past two to three weeks. Would it be that crazy if we just played him as a winger then? Like, Well, you know what? Shout to Lero. He said it in his second game. Actually, he said it in his first game. Yeah, you know, I was going to cast Lero, but he's been on the pod recently, so I'm going to allow him. <laughs> Gonna, he literally like, said like, no shout out to Lero because <laughs> he's not been on he needs to just stick behind the decks bro, between his, behind the ones and twos behind the, the behind the keyboards and the buttons and that but he's been he's been on recently and he turned up in a tough time so Lero much love <laughs> with it much love much love yeah he shout, he he mentioned this I think after Leicester game and just said I don't want to see him in the next formation I want to see him as a winger and a couple of things happen when you when you put a wing back at someone who's done well defensively, but also going forward higher up the pitch, a lot of the time they get nullified because they're marked, right? The beauty of some wing backs is that they're bombing on and they're not marked or they've burst past their marker, right? Who probably doesn't have much interest in going backwards anyway. But when you start in that more advanced position, you automatically get marked and you can't escape you don't there's no element of surprise obviously shout out to Gareth Bell who was able to just burst past players but Poor is not that type of player but he started off as a winger a bit like most modern wing backs so he should have an idea of what he wants to do in that final third and I think if we get the overload his delivery is as good as anyone and there's no kind of mistake why he took every single free kick um, and corner for us yesterday and almost got another assist from Romero's header. So his delivery is second to none. And he's popped up with two goals already in his, I don't know, 11 games yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just throwing a number out there. So that is actually more than any of our wingbacks have managed in that kind of time um, frame. And he's obviously an attacking threat. His liability is defence. So you're right. Either we just play him as a winger, which I'm not sure we do, or we play a system that suits him. When he was at Sporting, he, he played alongside two really good holding midfielders um, who had the knowledge and understanding of when to cover him. And for me, this is no different, right? If we're looking at this formation, I'm going to go a bit deeper, though. If we look at this formation, right, we're not always going to have the likes of a Davies on, um, Davies on the left-hand side who can dovetail between full-back and wing-back, right, or even LCB. Um what we may end up with is two out-and-out wing-backs mm. in Udogi and Poro, Stroke, hopefully Spence. Um, but what we're going to need is clever defensive mid- midfielders. And for me, this is just the invert- inversion of Poch's famous system. I'll take my £10 fine. Right. We had two of the best um, wing-backs in the league, or actually, they weren't even wing-backs. Full-backs, they were yeah. Full-backs, yeah. But they played like wing-backs. But the system allowed them to play like wing-backs, right? Because whether it be Dyer, more so Dyer than Wanyama, but they did, I mean, we touched on this in the pod before, all they had to do was track back and split the two centre-backs. But 
The beauty of those centre-backs is they both had played fullback in Vertonghen and Totwee out of our world, right? So they were comfortable going out wide. And effectively, they yeah. created a free. Yeah. Right? This is the inverse, where we play free defenders, mm-hmm. right? And Emerson is comfortable playing right back. So if he gets pushed out wide, it's not a big problem. Romero should be able to step into the midfield to provide support or he stays there and has that cover. Longley, not so much. But if we play Ben Davies there, it would be exactly the same, right? And he could then step out to the left if needed and it's not a problem. So it's kind of that clever system that we need to start employing in order to get the best of the parts that we have. Because going forward, right, I'm, I'm jumping the gun here, but going forward... We've got to think, we're not going to sell 20 players and buy 20 players. No, we're not. It's, yeah. Right? So we have to look at our assets and then we have to look at what we need to get rid of. And the question I think we're going to have to ask ourselves at some point is, do we have enough fullbacks or wingbacks or side defenders that can operate as wingbacks or side defenders that can operate as fullbacks? And that's one question. The other question is, do we have enough defenders that can operate in a four or that can operate in a three? And I think the defensive question with regards to defenders is a harder question to answer than the question about wide defenders. Because I feel that in Adogi, in Sessignon, if Perisic stays, in Spence in Poro, and even in Royale, we have wide defenders that are more comfortable operating in as wing-backs than they are as full-backs. Do you know, right? it's, it's funny, though, because it's like, this, this, the idea of wing-backs and full-backs seemed to be a lot closer before we started playing with them, right? Because whenever things didn't go right, or well, it was always focused on our on our inab- the inability of the of the people we had playing in one position to to do that. And people were like, oh, this, it, this person's not a wing back though; they're full back. They're full back. They're full back. But it's like mm. under under in the the what twenty fifteen to like twenty nineteen teams, you never had to worry about someone's ability to get up and down the pitch and to play in that role. Even though we 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 played we played wing backs on occasion, but not regularly. Right, and we never had to. We never felt like we had to compromise with those players. We never felt like they they could do one or they could they could do the other. They could just do both. And now we're in a situation where we keep on talking about like they have to be absolute specialists. The if you look at Trent and 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 Robertson, they are they play that they play that wingbacks. They play that wingbacks. They are wingbacks. Do you know what I mean they, they yeah, are? Yeah, and you, but, they but are no one listed in the four four two or four three three. Yeah, but that's it. Then they play. They play to be played like wingbacks without playing three at the back, right? And so this idea that these things can't happen with our side, like us, like for example, people talking about how Spence comes back, what's going to do for not playing four three three? He'll learn to play right back. Like he's he's not stupid. Like he's been playing football. You telling me that he came out of the womb saying I'm only going to play wing back. That's not how it happens. Like that flexibility just seems to be like just not that does not seem to exist at all. I think it's system based because I don't. I think Spence could learn to play right back, but we've seen 
Poro struggled to play right back, and I'm not saying he couldn't, he can't learn to play it. But if you, the two you mentioned in Robertson and Trent, they did one of two things, right? They've always had a holding midfielder who's only interested in holding, and they've had two other midfielders who are all action number eights who are box to box, right? If you think of their strongest side, it's um, Henderson, Wijnaldum and one other, Fabinho, maybe. Yeah, and they're all defensive-minded, right? None of them are... Wijnaldum would get on the end of things every now and again. Wijnaldum, before before he came to Liverpool, though, he was box-to-box. Like, he was one of the last few box-to-box. At PSV, he was box-to-box. At Newcastle, he was box-to-box. Yeah, no, he was. But he changed his role slightly because... and, And I think, to answer your question, why did it change for us and why do... Wingbacks need to be specialists. I think under that guy who's, I don't want another fine, we had a lot more creativity in our side. Our defensive midfielder or one of our deep line midfielders was Moussa Dembele, who could always beat his man. Mm. Then we, and ahead of him, we had Ericsson in, in tandem with Delhi when Delhi was prime. So we had creativity in the forward positions. Now, I don't feel like we have as much creativity, especially in the midfield area, in the central areas. So I think we play wide, right? That's That's been our angle from the for the last three or four years, that width is our friend and we get crosses in. And if that is the case, there's an over-reliance now on the wing-back. And... I feel like where we've had the likes of Aurier, Doherty, there's one other who I can't think of. Um, Trippier, Trippier. 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 No, before Trippier, after Trippier. We've had three right-backs who have not really done it. Oh, maybe Emerson. Yeah, Emerson, yeah. Because Emerson's still not the best crossover ball. No, no, not at all. The delivery is now far more important for us. We we focus on free kicks. We focus on corners. We focus on deliveries. Kane has got 10 headed goals this season. That's not a mistake. That is by design. So it's also a record. To get the ball wide. It's, it's a record, exactly. And it's a thing where how many of those goals have come from crosses? Not just dead balls, from crosses. Also, how many of his goals have actually come from crosses not that are not headers as well? He's had quite a few kind of in and around the box where he's volleyed in, tapped in from crosses. That's the way we play. We vacate the middle because we don't have the technical players and the creativity and we go wide. So I think that answers your question as why the likes. We spent 50 million, if you like, on Poro. We've got Dogi out on loan. We've got an overpaid um, Perisic. Another club signing of Spence. Like somebody's making these signings. Yes, Perisic was a Conte signing, but Spence was a club signing. Udogi was a club signing. You could argue Poro may have been a bit of both because you signed him for 50 million. All that ag, knowing that Conte hadn't re signed and wasn't going to re sign. So was he a Conte signing or was he a club signing? Mm. And I'm jumping around again, but does that mean that? the director of football that we don't have is saying we're always going to play 3-4-3 because we're signing wingbacks. That's what we're signing by design, right? And it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if next season we lined up with Poro dovetailing with Spence 
and Emerson as cover, and Emerson also cover or number one right side of centre back. That wouldn't surprise me because we're not going to buy, be able to buy four or five centre backs for next season. Which is just not going to happen, man. No, it's not. So why not utilise what you have there, right? You can't tell me that Spence can't dove to, can't play that wing back role because that's what he does. But maybe his delivery won't be as on point as Poro, but he will find himself in more threatening positions than Poro because he will be closer to the touchline than Poro and have the speed and power to probably get beyond and inside because he's a different type of player. But the premise is the same, that he will be a wing-back, an attacking wing-back, a.k.a. winger, and have more defensive cover on the right side of centre-back position and hopefully in defensive midfield position. I just feel like a big part of it all just depends on the system we play because ultimately... To have more of the ball and to take more risks, you need to implement another midfielder than we have been today, which means you're going to have one less defender. So your defenders are going to be asked to do more and to be more assured. It's long having to find ways to cover up the deficiencies of different players rather than to find a system that suits them. Like, this is what I found frustrating. Like, people see certain um, formations line up and we're rigid and we can't, we can't move the ball. We can't play what we've, for such a long time, consider our brand of football. We can't do it. And the reason we can't do it is because we're having to make allowances. And if you look at so many other teams, you don't have to be the best teams in the world, right? But if you just look at teams who have a clear identity and style of playing, you don't feel like they're compensating for other players. They're just players are playing in the roles that they're supposed to play in and if you look at Brighton for example you look at Aston, I knew you were going to say Brighton you look at Brighton you look at Aston Villa like these are two teams that don't have everything but they're currently playing to the strength of the people that they have as opposed to uh, as opposed to finding a system someone not being right for it and they're having to employ another player and giving them another role that compensates for the other player like it's long it's long it's like it just feels such a weird way to set up your football team this is why and this is why the appointment of a director of football is so important. Everyone is talking about, oh, we haven't got a manager, we haven't got a manager, we haven't got a manager yet. All right, cool. But we also don't have a footballing identity because we don't have a director of football. We don't have a director of football. And that, and that system, I'm a big fan of director of football system. Like, because much like you, I follow, I follow the NBA and I like that. I love the fact that they have like a, a GM who has an idea, vision of how you should be playing the game and he finds players for the coach to improve. The coach only has to focus on improving those players tactically, their performances, blah, blah. That's their only job. They don't have to worry about who comes in and out. It's like they get given who they want. Obviously, they have an input. Of course, they have an input. But it's not their main concern. Like, they can focus on improving people. And you could argue that when we had... In 2019, we had no no, um, sporting director. We had, you know, the manager, the coach. We had a head coach instead of a manager. Like, our performances were about. Performances were about. They were. Because we were gaining players who fit, like, an overall approach. And that person, and, and the coach just made those players better. Made them fit a system, made them play better. And that's when we played our most successful football. You look at things uh, when, we, when we had Martin Yole and the director of football. It worked better then. Same with, like, any, any time we've actually had a, a director of football, it's worked really well. It actually worked really well. The only time I think we've had significant success without a director of football was under Harry Redknapp. And, you know, say whatever you want, people would like to reduce his footballing style to just go out there and vibes, <laughs> which I think is a bit dismissive. But Inshallah and vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but ultimately, it worked. So I don't understand how people are so concerned with finding that person if we haven't got 
the person that that coach is going to is going to answer answer to. So this season, we've seen Liverpool lose their director of football. He stepped down. No one really said anything about it. It was like a very quiet thing, but probably because he hasn't committed criminal charges, so he could just go without anyone noticing. <laughs> um, and they're basically on the verge of replacing him with the ex Wolfsburg coach. Aston Villa have gone through the route of having a director of football. They've got Barcelona's, and we're still sitting around. What are we doing? I don't even know who we're talking to, bro. I don't even know who we're talking to. Yo, that may not be a bad thing if we are actually speaking to people. It's only a bad thing if we're not. And I'm hoping it's the former rather than the latter, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's the latter. Um, but if Levy is trying to do this thing properly, and I'm, I'm not sure he is, but if he is, um, the appointment of, is it Mundell? 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 Yeah, yeah. Uh, should be the first step because that means Levy is stepping away right from all of the sporting activities at the club that's what it should mean and it should be Mundell who then appoints the director of football and the director of football should report to him because remember there's a director well, of football team but, but Mun's Mun's role yeah yeah as direct he's director of football operations no Yes. Director of football. He's not. He's not a director of football. Just a football operations. Yeah, he's the. He should be the overarching, um, everything. Commercial. Blah blah. And he's almost seen as Levy's direct number two for everything, and some argue that he's in a great position to um, replace Levy if he should go. Right, because that's kind of his overarching position. I think it's his role to appoint the director of football. But in the meantime, we've Paratici. One thing he did do is build up a team of a team which is kind of others that could collectively do the director of football role. And as far as I mean, as far as we as far as we know, they're all they're all still there, and they're all committed. Yeah. So, but I agree with you. It's it's. It's like the GM. I think the GM role is, is on paper, is significantly different, but I don't think it is. I, I say it's on paper it's different because in basketball, because of the rules and regulations of basketball, you have to plan three, four, five, six years ahead because you've got things like draft picks, you've got contracts that are expiring, and you've got CBAs, and you've got to kind of figure out where you're going to be in year one, in year two, in year three and four. So there's significant things that will happen regardless and out of your control. So you need to plan for those things. A director of football doesn't have those tight regulations. However, they should still be planning on bringing in young players, allowing them to go out on loan, allowing them to play, say, in the Conference League or Europa League, whatever it is, so that they can build up their understanding and have a view that they are not necessarily for the here and now, but are for next season, season after, replacing outgoing players like a Perisic, who is um, not so long, has doesn't have um, long left, or other players, the Loris replacement coming through, things like that. So that's what a director of football should be doing, in addition to understanding what the culture of the club is, what the playing style is, what type of manager he wants in, what the youth um, team should be doing, etc., that's a lot. That's through. a lot to ask someone to get their head around. 
before pre-season starts, as well as having to get, like, getting people in, which is why I don't understand why it's still not happening. It makes no sense whatsoever. And look, I don't want to spend too long, like, deliberating on why it's happening and why it's not happening, but I just think it's just strange that we're so caught up in the idea of a manager who can't, can't work unless he knows who he's like that's the, that's the thing right that's what they're saying about Nagelsmann they're like the conversations have been really positive he's like he, he, he feels good about coming to, about coming to work um, with Tottenham but he just wants to know like who is he going to be working with and I'm like I get it I get that I completely get it I'm like you know why that's, that's exactly what you want to know but there's so many there's, the problem with Tottenham right now there's so many factors in the air right um, even now where we, fi- where we finish we're saying oh Winning solves everything. We enjoy that, for sure. We want our team to win. That's not what people say. People are like, oh, yeah, want us to lose so people know how bad the situation is. That's not what. That's not what's going to change. There have been times where there have been times where we've been, we've been middling the round and he just does enough to get us back into that top four. So when you're looking at the future now, obviously you want to win all the games less. But if, you, if those games meant that you'd win, you'd end up in Europa, Conference League, or have no European football, which one are you going for? I yeah I, I didn't want anything. I certainly don't want Conference League, but I I think to give a manager a chance, right? To to give us a chance of getting a decent manager, a progressive manager, a manager, a project manager. I think Europa League is the one. I I know it means Thursday night football, and it's not ideal, but I do think that because of the type of players that we're going to need to buy, we're going to need to buy young talent from Europe, not always going to be established, and they may not fit directly into the Premier League way of life, but they will need opportunity to play games. Even the likes of Spence, I think the Europa League is a good playground, if you like, for them to get used to their teammates, get used to the club, the philosophy, the ethos, the manager, and become ready when called upon. And it also gives a European manager, especially if there is a European manager that's chosen, an opportunity to target a trophy to win because they tend to take it a lot more serious than others, especially English managers. And they will also have probably a bit more know-how on how to win it coming from a European system, right? You see a lot of good managers target the Europa League and win it Look at Emery, he's done it several times, right? Whereas he's his club struggle in the league and don't really compete with tight title runs, but every year, year on year, even though you've got Champions League sides dropping into Europa League, but every year they're competitive and have won it. So I think it's a good playground for the manager, it's a good playground for players, um, and it also means that we don't have to get rid of every single person in the squad, although we need to get rid of a lot. But I think having to not rely on the youth team, because I don't think it's the, the academy is, is producing a lot, I think we still need some senior pros in there. But I'm happy to get young talent from Europe or younger talent from Europe to come in and play. And I think Europa League's a good playground for that. And I think the Conference League is just not competitive enough. West Ham are doing well in that. That says it all. Well, this this is my thing, right? It's like you can also think about look. It's money coming in, regardless, right? If you go into the competitions, it's more money. It gives you an opportunity to cut people, people, people's like time. I just feel like it's really important to allow 
the players that you want to develop to develop in that competition. This idea of like going into it and then playing everyone all the minutes all the time, like with a manager who refuses no. to rotate, that is long. If we go in it, I, I want to go in it knowing that Skip is going to be able to um, start and develop. That um, that you know. Uh, Spence, Spence is going to be able to play and develop that Star is going to be able to play and develop and that we've bought players who will go ahead of them and can focus on the Premier League and that's not like an A team B team thing like I, I feel like I should just be a mix all the time right but giving a higher weighting to those players who need minutes because someone like yeah. Ventacle when, when he comes back he knows he's going to start every game he knows unless we go recruit in the summer in a way that's going to you know cause whatever it is then like he knows he's going to play every game and it's also hard because if you do it as Conference and then Premier League, it's like whenever you perform well, people are like, oh, well, you only played gank. It's like, but if you played well against, if you played well against Nottingham Forest, no one's going to go, oh, you only played Nottingham Forest. They'll say, oh, it's the Premier League, there's no easy games, blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, that's why you, yeah, have, to, you have to be mixed up all the time. And sometimes somebody's come across and say, listen, Harry Kane, today you're, you're going to rest. Richardson's going to start. Whatever, like, these things need to happen. Like, for me, if we're, like, the, the next manager, I want, I really, I desperately want a manager who's not afraid to rotate, who's not afraid to change things. Tactically. I've, that's what I want, man. I don't want to be watching a manager who, even when things are going bad, like, look, they all got their principles. Don't get me wrong, they've all got their principles. But, look, Klopp has got his clear principles about how he wants to play. Pep has got his clear principles about how he play. But if Pep can drop Kevin De Bruyne above, why can't we drop Skip? I don't understand. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, if if Klopp, at if the Klopp, moment we've got no one to drop, if, for, apart from himself. Yeah, fair enough. But if Klopp can, can drop um, Tiago like, no, why can't we? Why can't we drop I don't actually understand. Yeah, I mean, those two managers, like you say, they drop. They do. People. They they have their system, but they drop people. And look, Harvey Elliott, any other team, Curtis Jones, any other yeah. team, what are they doing? They're doing nothing, bro. Agreed. They're doing Agreed. nothing. Agreed. But they've been given time to play in the game. But why can't we do that with our players? This and that youth man in midfield, Bechek, Bechek, or Bella. Yeah, 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 yeah. I need He came in and he played. Like, Klopp don't ramp to put people in. And um, we've seen it. Yes, their academies may be better than our academies, but even like Rico Lewis, he's coming, he's looked okay. He's not looked like a, a worldie, though, has he? Like, yeah, may have played out of position, but Cole Palmer, yeah, maybe one for the future, like earmarked already. But my point is, and your point is, that if they need to drop Haaland, if they need to drop Kevin De Bruyne or rest, mm. they they will do it. If they need to drop Diaz and play a Kanji who signed for a lot cheaper and Ake, they will do it. Like, or they've been playing well and they're number ones, but we're rotating. Well, let's rotate, and it seems to be a lot more f- effective than what we try and do because when our players come in. Already they're coming into a system that they're not familiar with. And like you say, square pegs and round holes. Then they come in and feel like they have no idea. They just don't look familiar with who they're playing with and any kind of system. They just look so out of sorts. And then they never get seen again. Right? And that's not progressive. At all. At all. I don't know how you expect to move forward as a club. Like when this is your approach to developing players. It just doesn't make sense. It's just so stupid. It's so stupid. So when, you, okay, so when you're looking at it now, yeah? And you're saying mm. director football comes in. Mm-hmm. It seems like maybe it's because it's, it's Tottenham, but it's, and we've looked at it. But before Paratici, I never thought about what formation Daniel Komodi likes to play. Because when Daniel Komodi was at Tottenham, we played four four two for a bit. We also played like a four three a four one three two for a bit. 
Um, mm-hmm. Now we're looking at it like, all right, we've got a squad built for Conte. He plays four three four three four three. Does that mean we have to get a man, a, a director of football who wants to play three at the back? I mean, centre backs are centre backs are at a premium, and we've proven that we're not willing to pay for them. So it's like, do, do you want to go in the system that causes us to put, spend that many people? I don't know. I think we do. I think we do for the reason I mentioned earlier. Because fullbacks that we have, like if we go to a four, I'm not comfortable in the wide defenders that we have to play that role effectively, right, from the get. We have one in Emerson Royale. I'll be comfortable with him in a right back. I wouldn't be comfortable with Poro in a right back. I would be less comfortable with Spence in a right back than Royale. On the left-hand side, Sessegnon, maybe he can play there. Probably because he doesn't go forward effectively as well because he looks scared. Davies, possibly, but it's more he's the best backup as opposed to the best starting player in any position. Perisic, hell no. Hell no. But as I said, ask me about those six players playing as right wing back and I'm more confident in pretty much all of them playing right wing back than I am them playing as full backs. And yes, centre backs are a premium. Yes, I agree. We have one who can play in the CCB role. We have two full backs that can dovetail, um, Royale and Davies as left and right sided centre backs. So maybe we just need two and we keep one of the other Diaz, Sanchez, Tanganga. Like, not ideal, but I think it's the quicker win than to replace centre-backs and wing-backs. Because I think we would need to replace wing-backs in order to play four at the back. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. I just... It's just so... It feels so restrictive, man. It just... You know, it was a time where it felt really innovative, right? You know, when we switched... When we switched between that and a 4-3... A four two three one back in like 2018, 2017, 2018, or 2016, 2018, 2017. And it felt like it was really innovative. Oh, yeah, you know, we were at 4-3-3. We switched to 4-3-4-3. Um, so back in, players don't know what's going to happen. They then how they're going to match up against us. It was always like really, like, it felt so fun, man. And under Conte, it just became so turgid. It became so turgid. And I just, I think for us as a, as a team who has, let's be honest, we're trying to find our identity. We're trying to get back to what our values were and what made us such a enjoyable and successful team for a period of time. Look, we've always played good football, right? We've always played good football. What hasn't always been the case is the results. Sometimes we lose 4-3 and be like, oh, well, that was fun. It was calm because that's what we're getting out of it. Whereas now, there's much more, onus, much more of an onus on us to, to deliver that kind of... Um, that kind of... Great football combined with like great results. Now, I would like for us to look at it and say the most important thing is to have free-flowing football, which to me is predicated on the ability to be tactically fluid. Like you need to be able to come across any situation and find that you can deliver a new approach and you can put teams on their back. People should be able to turn up and feel like they know what's gonna happen when they, when we when we when we come out of the dugout, uh, come out of the tunnel, right? This shouldn't be a thing where they're so 
comfortable with what they're going to get from us that they don't have to prepare because we are not at a stage yet where we are so good or we have such a, a ridiculously talented squad that these people can come in and out and it makes no difference. So therefore, tactical fluidity is absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential. I, I love that about um, Nagel's men as a potential signing because he does go back and forth. But again, it comes back to what kind of director of football is out there. Um, and the director of footballs are just like... I mean, there are very few that have worldwide recognition, right? Luis Campos has got a, um, a great a great um, CV. What he did at, at Monaco was unprecedented. And, you know, he carried on good work. Arguably not, hard, not as difficult a job as, PS, as PSG, but, you know, he, he did that as well. So, for me, that tactical fluidity is absolutely... Absolutely essential, man. I just want to be able to see variations. I don't want to be discussing the same lineup every week and then sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, there's no change because you know you've got to be committed to an idea for it to, to ring true. I just feel that we just take steps by step. And I think looking at what we've done under Mason, right? It's not like we're it's not like we're putting up trees or we've suddenly become the like the best team on form in the league. It's just more about thinking, alright, what are the things that make us quintessentially Spurs, right? What are, what are the things that make us distinctively, you know, different to whoever it is? And a big part of that was the, was the way we would play our football, man. That's, that's it. And, I don't know, those values and those, and that commitment to playing football that you can enjoy, I've said countless times, man. It's the most important thing to me, man. I just want to enjoy the damn thing. I just want to enjoy it and I, I feel like that tactical fluidity is going to allow us all. Because even when we don't win, if we try something new, that's better than if we don't win and we're stuck with the same thing over and over again. That's going to drive you nuts. Who wants to see that? No one wants to see that. No one's going to be like, oh, yeah, we play for... Then you do that and then every, every fan becomes a, becomes a manager, becomes an arbitrary manager. Like, oh, yeah, tweet this, tweet that, blah. I want the manager to say, you know what, 4 3 might not work against Man City. Let's go four 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 two and prepare for that in that time. I'm not saying I'm not saying you can you can do it every time, right? You have to be realistic on what you can coach in a certain period of time. But at least try something different. But I do not want to be in a situation where dead things are happening, which continue because that's our formation and that's who we play and that's who starts. Nah, I want someone who's not afraid to change things, man. I feel like we've been there for such a long time now, and I think that's kind of why I didn't go to the Man United game. I didn't go to Crystal Palace. Oh yeah, we didn't even discuss how how Andrew's still on strike. I I think though what you're saying is why I am there because it's just like it's jarring, right? The fact that there hasn't been any change. We've had these managers who are so reluctant to change the system when it's clearly not working, the players when they're clearly not working and it's not a fluid system. It's not anything creative or bright it's just this is what I've done in the past and this is what I will do in the future and this will work if you listen to me and yeah maybe he's right or they are right but they've also got to be bright enough and clever enough to understand what they're working with and maybe that's not the best way to get the best out of these players and maybe we tweak it and play something different and it all boils down to yes would you rather pay your harder money to go and watch your team play 
attacking attractive football and being close fought games, win some, maybe win more than they lose, or would you be happier watching your team play in a rigid formation, rigid system, and narrowly lose, narrowly lose more than they win? Because that's what was happening for a long period of time, right? If we were winning every game 1-0 and we ended up winning the league, I think people would suffer it. But when it stopped going like that, I know what I would rather, and that is having a DNA of playing attacking football and growing with that DNA to ultimately end up being on the right side of wins and losses. 38 1 right? nils. Do you know what's been amazing? Because if we, if we as a team were to go 30, win 38 1 nils and win the league, yeah, it would piss, it would piss. You know, people really hate us. I don't even know why. I feel like we're the most hated team in the league. But people, imagine, imagine the hate if we went 38 1 nils. Oh my goodness, man. Commentaries will be, commentators will be dying, but the media team, media teams will be having a fit. Oh, t- they would have nothing to write about. Tottenham win the Gary league. Gary Neville would not know what to say. Tottenham win the league on one nils, man. <laughs> That's hilarious. We'll be rewriting oh, history from dear. down the road as well, so it would change, it would change that song. Yeah, it would. But boy, if it brings up, if it brings up a Premier League trophy, bro, I'm, I'm done with it, bro. Can't lie to you. I can't lie to you. Yeah. If it was guaranteed for sure, for sure. I I'll saw, take it. Yeah, we'll probably we'll take it. We mentioned Kane briefly. He's broken the records um, uh, for headed goals in the season. He's now second top Premier League scorer in, in history. He could probably get another five before the end of the season. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. But he's been overshadowed, man, because Haaland is doing what he's doing, and it's not the end of the world to me. But um, I still think Kane is a... I think Kane is still a, a better player. I think he's more well-rounded. But... And I guess it, it's, hard, it's easy to say that, but it, he's always he's almost always played with teams that are... 70% of them are below his station. Let's be honest. That Kane's always been in those situations. I think the gap between Haaland and his teammates has never been as big as the gap between Canes. Um, but, you know, they say there's a new king in town when it comes to the Premier League goal scorers. Um, how do you feel about the comparison between Kane and Haaland? Yeah, I, I think there's more to it than meets the eye, for sure. I think Haaland is amazing. I think the new kid on the block's getting all of the plaudits, and rightly so, he scored a bag load of goals. But i tell you one thing. He doesn't half miss a load of chances as well. Like he, I've seen games where he's missed three or four very good chances, but nobody says anything. Nobody says anything because he probably has six or seven chances during a game and still bags two or three Mm. in that same game. Whereas I don't think Kane has had that luxury for a long time. Right? Gone are the days when Kane scored Premier League hat tricks because he's not getting so many chances. If Kane gets three chances in a game, he's done well that game. Like, three chances. Like, proper chances. Not long-range shots, proper chances where the XG would expect him to score. Like, that doesn't happen for Kane as much. And we've mentioned on the pod that he doesn't score hat-tricks anymore. But that's because he's not getting as many chances. We've also mentioned he's got so much to do do now, though, man. Like, before, it's it's no coincidence that it's his, his, his... 
his hat tricks came when he was playing in a team with a with a creative midfield. That's not a joke. It, it's not a surprise. Exactly. One hundred percent. And a functional team as well. Yeah, yeah. and a fun- exactly. very functional team. Exactly. But now you want him to see not... everything. Yeah, but let's not take something away from Haaland because one thing that Haaland allows Haaland to be on the end of so many chances is, A, he's playing in a well-oiled team with KDB and Gundogan and Bernardo Silva behind him who can feed him and create chances for him. But also, he does put himself in a position to score goals because of his sheer pace and desire and strength to get on the end of things. One thing Kane doesn't have the maybe the luxury or the ability to do anymore is to create runs in behind time after time after time, right? And that could be because he's in a deeper role. That could be because he doesn't have the legs or the speed that Haaland has. And I think those strengths that Haaland has enable him to create a little bit more space than Kane has. And I guess the less responsibility also helps. And that's probably why he's able to miss three chances a game, two chances a game, and still break the Premier League goal-scoring record. I don't think it's because he's better than Kane. Um, this is me not just defending Kane here. I think he's younger than Kane, and I think he's naturally quicker than Kane. I think he's six foot five and taller and stronger than Kane. But I think... He's also playing in the side that's a lot more fluid, creates a lot more chances, is a lot more dominant than Kane. Imagine banging those goals in a a counter-attacking team. Mad. I know, I know. And 20, is it 25, 26 Premier League goals? Yeah, Um, 26. This this season alone, in probably one of Spurs' most dysfunctional teams in the last seven, eight years. In Kane's time at Spurs, as Kane's as Kane being the number one player at the club, or the number one striker at the club, this has probably got to be the worst team he's played. <laughs> and you know, yeah, you're so right. But when you said it, it just felt it just felt so scathing, bro. It felt hey, I wasn't so even trying scathing, to be bro. Scathing, but their team. <laughs> If I'm honest, bro, especially with the laugh. injuries to Bentacore as well. Cry, if you don't laugh, you're crying, bro. Yeah. That's the situation. But yeah, so I, to, to summarise, I think, I don't think you can compare Kane and Haaland. I think just respect what Haaland's done, but also respect what Kane's done. Yeah. And I said that without the T on the end of it, <laughs> to add a little patois. You know, just to say respect. You're, you're like, you're getting, getting, I feel like we're going to get a big game with a lot more password next season. It depends. It depends. <laughs> anyway, to be honest, hopefully it's the, it's the, it's the good side because that's bad. the password is so, it's so scathing, bro, for your piss. It's so scathing, bro. It's nuts. It's so, it just, it can be, it's just yeah, bad yeah. at you, bro. It's just, <laughs> it feels like demoralizing. <laughs> I'm too bad the incident I had in the airport, but yeah. Is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. That it, like you said, it's scathing. It's scathing, yeah, bro. so little, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've yeah, yeah, been little, man. <laughs> anyway, that's the conversation for another day. Um, yeah, so, listen, we're, we're going to wrap it up there. We're going to wrap it up there. Um, look, I think, now, honestly, it's just about getting to the end of the season, man. And it for being as, as painless as possible. And, you know, currently being unbeaten at home helps, Right? Well, I'm, be- I'm, being home. I'm being home under Mason so uh, 
we had that. The way you clutch, no, no, the way you clutch. Listen, listen, first of all, I'm not the most delusional um, person on this pod. Shout out, Jimmy. Um, we are unbeaten at home under Mason, right? We are currently we're currently on a winning run. Um, so I say, so I say, we also we also scored we also scored four goals in two games. It's not bad. It's not bad. Oh, mate, don't talk about the goals we've conceded in the I last five. Can you just, like, pipe down, please? Let me make my point, mate. Right? Go on, make your point. Because at the end of the day, we've got, six, we've got six goals. We've got six goals in three games. That's not bad. We've got, we've got, four, no. we've got four and two. We're unbeaten at home under Mason. I think we're in, good, I think we're in great shape. And, and, we yeah, are currently, I mean, and we're currently on the search on the search for someone to replace him. Imagine, a manager who's currently unbeaten at home looking to replace him Cool, blimey, big shoes to fill. Big shoes to fill. Uh, you know where we're at. Jimmy, guys. Jimmy, Jimmy, deal with this next <laughs> that, week, please. That, you, know where, you know where we're at, guys. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate you. I know you get bored of us saying thank you, but, you know, you could spend your time doing something else with anyone else. But you're here with us. We appreciate you. Um, that's me anyway. I'm Cobb9. Um, I feel like... I feel better about this. I feel better about something at the moment. I do. I do. <laughs> Kwabna, a.k.a. the motivational speaker and coach. It's I'll send you his details. It's a lie. It's a lie. <laughs> I don't get out of bed for less than 100 grand. Though. Mate, with that, with that motivation, I think it's well earned. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Anyway, I've been Kwabna, so that's, a, that's it for me. I've been Andrew, and I'm motivated. <laughs> that's it for me. We are unbeaten at home under Mason. Good times around the corner. So smile. Because the sun always shines on the shell side. Lero, how about you do something for once around the outro? Yeah.